This is episode 679 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's episode, Justin Cummins of BlockThrasher.com and TheArtOfPreparedness.com. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper website. So other benefits include members-only videos, periodic webinars, and online meetups. And I got to tell you guys, the online meetups are fun. This is a great value for $20 a year. For more information, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. All right, so I have a very interesting and important episode for you. My friend Justin Cummins joins us on this episode today. Um, I know Justin from theartofpreparedness.com, and uh, he, we, we've touched base because of preparedness and because of the website. Um, for a time, he lived here in Houston, and uh, we were able to uh, just you know have this friendship where we were able to share things. Uh, actually, Justin created the logo for the Prepper Website podcast, so I got to give that shout out. Uh, sometimes I, I forget that he's done that, and so... Uh, Along with this friendship, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in the past was cryptocurrency. And I got to be honest, when he started talking about cryptocurrency, when cryptocurrency, you know, started to come about, I was like, I have no desire, no interest in this at all. It, to me, it's like another thing. And uh, for a lot of people, I'm sure it feels like that. It's like woo-woo stuff. Uh, if, you, if you hear some of the uh, pundits on the news, you'll hear that as well. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's like cryptocurrency, it just it seems too uh, technologically out there for me to be able to wrap my head around. You know, hey, I'm a simple person. I want to prepare. I want to live a simple life. But here's the thing. What cryptocurrency is built on will provide the technological infrastructure for us to live a more prepared life and the fact that the things that we're doing online are decentralized. So we all know what happened with Parler. And, you know, one of the things that I brought up on this interview is you heard about groups being shut down on Facebook. You heard about people being deplatformed and you might not have paid too much attention to it or you might have thought in the back of your head, you know what, that group probably was doing something wrong. Someone was posting something they shouldn't have, and that's why they got shut down. But then we saw Parler, and we saw a whole platform get shut down all at one time because the powers that be didn't like the fact that it served one segment of society. And I think that Parler being shut down really opened everyone's eyes, especially those that are freedom-loving those that are patriotic, those that are in the preparedness community, it opened up their eyes to how powerful big tech was and what they could do and how they can shut down dissent out there. And so one of the things that I started, and I always had this idea of, I don't want to build my platform on Facebook. I don't want to build it on social media. So I already had that from a long time. But 
being able to look into blockchain a little bit more and seeing, getting some more information about it, I realized that this is something that we all truly need to know about. So I contacted Justin and I'm like, Justin, I know you're into the crypto thing, but can you talk about blockchain? He's like, oh yeah. And he's done a lot of research. He's got a lot of great information. And not only that, he's coming from the preparedness point of view. This is not somebody that I found out there who's doing cryptocurrency or blockchain and has that information out there. He's coming from the preparedness uh, community and, and the point of view. So I think this is going to be one of those very interesting episodes, maybe even one you might want to listen to a couple of different times. We try to make things as simple as possible when we're talking about things and I actually kind of circle back a couple of times just to make it as simple as possible for us to understand and to grasp because I think everybody truly needs to understand this. And I'm going to tell you right up off, uh, off the top, this is not difficult. You know, if you're thinking about, okay, cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin and blockchain, all these words I don't understand. No, to get into this, and I'm not talking about even cryptocurrency. So don't even think about cryptocurrency. Get that out of I'm talking about the infrastructure that allows us to be able to be decentralized in how we share and how we communicate so that not one entity can shut down what is going on on the Internet. Right. And so Justin talks a lot about this. This is really easy to get into. It is not difficult at all. And Justin is going to explain it for us. So without further ado, I'm going to stop yapping. We're going to get right into this episode with Justin Cummings. We're going to talk about how decentralization is the future. Hey, Justin, welcome to the Prepper Website Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Appreciate it. And we've known each other for a while, but uh, for the audience, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into preparedness. My journey to preparedness started, I would say, in around 2008, 2009. During that financial crisis, I remember I was relatively young, but I had a, a, a growing family, small children. And uh, I remember during that crisis that there was a stimulus that was sent out, right? That was when uh, Bush was president. And then they started talking about the bailouts and TARP and it was Bear Stearns and all this stuff that was happening going on, AIG, et cetera. And I was like, what, what, how does this work? And I started to get really interested in how our money monetary system worked and how this was possible. And, and so I read a book uh, called The uh, Web of Debt, right? And uh, which is by Ellen Brown. And then I read the creature from Jekyll Isle or Island and uh, by G. Edward Griffin. And it just, the whole thing sort of really opened up my eyes and, 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 and made me think, wow, you know, there's a lot more volatility in our world, especially within the financial world than I thought. And so that got me thinking and, uh, and, and it sort of led one thing led to another thing led to another thing. And so I wanted to be more financially prepared. And then I, I obviously I wanted to make sure that I could care for and take care of and provide for my family. And so that led into all the other areas of, of preparedness. And, uh, at the time I was in Southern California and I realized that it probably wasn't the best place to be for any of those things. And so I started to look into what I could do. And, uh, like so many people did, except for we did it probably, you know, 10 years or, a little more than that than, than, than most. I mean, obviously now the exodus uh, from that place is, is, uh, is, is crazy, but we went uh, and, and found a place in the Northwest and uh, started our journey down that path toward better preparedness in every area, every realm of life. So 
that's been my story. That's great. And we, we met with, um, you know, from, I guess, the work on Prepper website and your work on the art of preparedness. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more, a little bit about that later on, I guess. Um, yes. And so uh, you, are, uh, you are someone out there in the preparedness community writing articles and, and providing content. And so with that, uh, I want to, I'm going to tee this up for you because I, I know you know and you know, I know, and I know, you know, I know <laughs> all that stuff, but uh, to, t- to get this going for the purpose of this episode and to help people understand kind of where we're going, I'm trying to be a little methodical here. Um, I recently synced my YouTube account with a service called library. And, um, you know, I heard about it and I had somebody else uh, talk, uh, talk about it. I started looking into it. I thought it was a good move. Was it, I want to ask you, was it a good move? And if it was, why or why not? Absolutely. I think it was a good move. And we could talk a little bit more about some of the details of that soon. But there's uh, a number of reasons why it's a good move. It is, is one, it protects you from censorship. Number two, it protects you from potentially being deplatformed. Uh, it gives you a permanency in terms of accessibility to the content that you're creating. It allows you to monetize what you're doing in a much, much better and more efficient and profitable way than some of the other options, uh, traditional options. And your users can also benefit from that uh, with a ad-free experience and not be a product of the platform as they are with current platforms. They can help support you, but they can also earn something in the process. So it's really just a win-win for everybody. Well, good. I'm glad I, um, I, I'm glad I made that move and I'm glad I made that move for uh, the listeners and those that to watch the videos that we, we put out there. Um, when I started looking into it, um, I saw this term blockchain and uh, I didn't want to, you know, I know that you've talked to me about cryptocurrency before. And usually when you hear blockchain, that's what you hear and that's what you're thinking about. And so you, you've, there's been all this kind of mystical idea. Some people look at it and like, and even you hear people on the news, on the mainstream medium and in this like, this is nothing. This is like digital ones and zeros. How could it mean and, and matter anything? And you hear about Bitcoin going up and, you know, costing all this money and it's, you know, hits, it's, you know, going to hit 30,000 and, and all this kind of stuff. So when I saw blockchain, I was a little at first confused on how this all kind of ties in. So sure. uh, when we're talking about library and we're talking about, uh, you know, library and videos completely different story than looking at cryptocurrency. So can you explain a little bit about blockchain to us in layman's terms and, and how it applies all to this, to this situation? Sure, sure. If you actually study the history of blockchain and how it was invented, and it was invented as it in the, in the initial use case was for Bitcoin, the people that were working on that and that created it, Satoshi Nakamoto and others that came along to help him, they weren't really concerned about money and they weren't, I mean, they, they recognized that money was uh, important, but their, their issue was privacy. They were cryptologists. They were guys that were looking for ways to protect themselves from the possibility of um, overreach of a big brother type of government or prevent know, some kind of draconian authoritarian type of whatever regime, right? So the idea was to be censorship resistant and to be borderless and sort of global and and, and something that couldn't be taken down or stopped. And so 
Um, it, it's interesting because that has ramifications in terms of the First Amendment and things that are really relevant to what are happening today that are completely outside the realm of money or cryptocurrency or whatever. But blockchain opens up the door and the possibilities, along with a couple other technologies that can be brought into it uh, on the protocol level that can make those types of things that they were aiming for uh, actually possible. But Blockchain itself is really just to put it in layman's terms, a database. It's as simple as that. I mean, most people are familiar with an Excel spreadsheet, for instance, which is sort of a really basic form of a database. You know, you've got rows and, you know, it's like a table and you can insert data into it and you can run some data you know, functions on that to, to sum up a total of a column or whatever you want to do. So uh, a database is just entries, right? And, and one comes after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Now what makes a blockchain different is that in most databases you can go in and edit the the records any of the records from any point in time and you can change them so you can update them well with a blockchain that's not the case it's an immutable database so it's like once you get it started once it gets going that's why it's called a chain each record that goes in is a new entry that is cryptographically tied to the record that came before it and then the record that comes after it and you can't go in and edit any of those blocks, you can't change anything that's happened before. So, you know, there's positive implications of that and there's negative implications of that. But what's positive about it is that it's immutable and it adds a level of security and it can't be changed. And this actually opens up the possibility for all kinds of things that, that aren't possible with a traditional database. Uh, things like you can have verification of documents or you can do identity verification and all kinds of other things that we might get into a little bit later on, uh, on, on that blockchain. And so there are blockchains that are uh, permissionless, and, which is like Bitcoin. Anybody can submit a transaction to that blockchain. And then there are permissioned blockchains, which actually aren't decentralized, that run within a, an organization, right, on their own servers and uh, those permissioned blockchains are used often within governments and educational institutions and places like that. And uh, they are just tapping into the benefits of the blockchain technology that can be a better, more uh, trustless and verifiable form of a database than some of the database structures that have been typically used. Does that answer the question? Yeah, well, here's the thing. So you were talking a little bit about decentralization and I think that's important. We've seen stuff like Parler recently was uh, you know deplatformed. We know that there's a lot of uh, conservative patriot types were uh, deplatformed off of Twitter and people have been blocked on Facebook and I mean you know all that kind of stuff. So we're talking about decentralization and and blockchain and databases. Isn't it something though that if it was out there, Although it's immutable, although it is, uh, it, you know, it's on the internet, and so could Amazon turn it off, or could uh, the government come in and turn it off? How is it safer than anything else? So when you have a blockchain that is then decentralized, that is what makes it impossible for it to be shut down or censored or blocked off in that fashion. With a typical application like Parler, for instance, which was a platform in itself. It was running its services, its backend on Amazon web servers, right? And there are some really fantastic applications, even in the privacy realm. We were talking earlier before we started about Signal, which is a very good encrypted instant messaging 
tool that you can use to replace your text messaging application on your iPhone or your Android. Uh, it, it's great, but it's also has its backend is also ran on Amazon Web Services. Now, if we talk about a regular website, for instance, typically you have a host that hosts that website, and if they are uh, you know, if someone comes to them, the government or anybody says, look, you need to shut down that website, they can shut down that website, even with domain names. If uh, you own a domain name and they go to the registrar and say, we don't want you to be allowed to point that domain name to your website, they can shut you down at that point. So there's in the in the typical technological stack, there's all these points, these vector points that can, you know, of attack where you can you can be shut down as a content creator, right? You could also be demonetized and there's all kinds of other things that can be done to keep you from getting your content out there or being able to continue to afford to do it. Uh, but if you have a blockchain that is decentralized, the way it works is, is like this. I'll try to explain it as simply as possible. With a normal database, like let's say it's um, your bank's database, for instance, that database resides on servers. Now, if they're doing their job as they should, there's going to be some redundancy. They'll have a copy of that database in a data center, some you know, in a couple different places in the United States. They might even have uh, a backup in another country or around the world, and they might have that in ten or fifteen or maybe even twenty places. So there's some redundancy. However, it's centralized, so it can be hacked all of those places could be attacked at once or they could be shut down or, or an individual who has the keys can shut it down and you wouldn't be able to access anything, any of the data that's in your bank, right? So with a decentralized uh, platform that is blockchain driven, uh, what it does is it uses, and, and it is cool because all this is tied to Bitcoin and the creation of it. <laughs> the technology behind it was actually just genius, incredibly genius. But the way it works is that that database is not centralized. It's not controlled by any one entity. It's controlled by individuals. So you and I take library. Let's use library as a use case. And as an example, we can run the library database essentially, or the blockchain on our own computers, which will be called a node, right? And that is done by thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of people around the world. So it's impossible to shut all of that down at the same time, unless you were going to shut down the internet. And then there's miners, which are connected to that whole process, which are also providing security to the network. They're the ones that are processing those transactions and providing that computing power that makes sure that everything gets put into the database as it should be. And it's all cryptographically proven. It's trustless, which means that we're not relying on that one entity or that one company or that whatever. And, uh, and so that then in connection with it's the blockchain, it's the decentralization. And, and in the case of library, they're, they're offering those files. If you post a video, this video, or you post a podcast or an image or a text document or anything onto the library protocol, it's really a protocol slash platform, that content then gets served up peer to peer, just like BitTorrent or back in the day, Napster. So we record a video, I host it on my machine, the information about that video and where it resides is put into the blockchain, right? Which is on computers distributed all across the globe. It's secured and protected by the miners that are processing all that information and transaction. And then it's being shared from me to you peer to peer. So there's no company, there's no, there's no way the government can step in and shut it down or any, anybody really, unless they shut down the internet and you and I are no longer able to connect to each other 
on that peer-to-peer network. And so it's, it's really a fascinating and interesting protocol and it, and it could potentially answer a lot of the problems that we face in terms of being deplatformed or censored or even demonetized. And I could talk about that a little bit too. I don't know if we wanted to jump into that part of it yet, but one of the benefits as well is that which is kind of tied to cryptocurrency is that instead of running ads on this platform and taking users' personal information, which is one of the biggest problems we see as well, you and I, the users of platforms, of these websites, of these apps, become the product. So they harvest all of our personal information. They track everything we do. There's, you know, they even listen to our conversations, right? With, uh, with the, you know, <laughs> Alexis and whatever it is, Siri. And so we start getting these ads. I'm sure many of you have noticed that. Like suddenly after you've talked about something, ads are popping up. So we become the product and, and they take our information. They sell to third-party advertisers who then hit us with all of these ads that we may or may not want to see. And then the content providers are not really um, be able to monetize their content as well. They don't get paid out very well. And the corporation, these corporations are, are making billions and billions of dollars off of their users and the content creators and everything like this. And so with library and some of the other platforms that are doing similar type of things, the users actually get paid for watching videos and you can't beat that, right? And the content creator gets paid as well. And then the users that they can give tips and they can support the content creators that they like. If they like that particular uh, post or the, or the content that was created, they can give tips. And so it just cuts out the intermediary, the third party. So it does a lot of things. I mean, it, 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 it prevents censorship and it, and it prevents being deplatformed, but it also allows for a more direct way for all of us to sort of interact with each other and to help each other out in a financial way and monetize things. So, it, you you said a lot of things, and, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my policy is kind of to let the, the person who I'm interviewing kind of go with it. I, I hate to interrupt. So you said a lot of great things. So I want to circle back just a little bit. You got uh, it. Um, some of the things that you've said, and this is just a comment, you know, and talking about uh, BitTorrent and, uh, or, or uh, Bitcoin and, and different things like that, even getting ready for this interview. And we've been, you know, kind of going back and forth. Um, I don't use Facebook a whole lot. I use it to share the gospel um, and use it for church. Uh, we live stream there, but then I don't do a lot more. Uh, I'm live streaming prepper website when we do, when we do those types of things, but it was kind of funny. I went the other day just to kind of check it out. And I had a friend's request from somebody who is like a Bitcoin person. And I'm like, I don't okay. know who this person is. I don't know who they are at all. I mean, yeah. all they, all they have all over their stuff is Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. It's one of those things like you, you do hear about, you know, your, your devices are listening and uh, yes. there's a way that they're, that they're grabbing that information from you. Absolutely. My, my, my policy right now is I'm going to be using Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I'm going to use them until I get deplatformed and then, you know, uh, continue to, to do what I'm doing, but I'm already moving over to like library and some of the other places. Um, Right. Trying to figure out how to live stream on DLive, which is yes. uh, more of a gamer platform, uh, but it's it not on blockchain. Um, but they're it's all, a they Twitch all, replacement. Yeah, yeah, and Twitch, yeah. and so they they um, they they also allow other other people to stream on there as well. So trying to figure all that out and, and making it work with my my software. So uh, yeah. you said that you know we have a lot of people that listen from all different walks of life. Um, we have uh, younger people that listen to the podcast. We have older people. We have people that are uh, business, you know, own their own businesses and, and business people. And then we have homesteaders. So when you were talking about 
the uh, the computers and, and hosting uh, something on your on your computer. I was thinking about, and you mentioned BitTorrent. Um, I was thinking back back about you know back in the day when I was younger and uh, I was into all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, just just so people can maybe can maybe wrap their heads around this, um, I would if when you would search for a file, whatever that was, you know, a video file, uh, a PDF, whatever, you search for a file, and you always looked for the files that had more seeds or yes. more people attack, uh, attached to it. Um, if yes. you tried to download from somebody that is just one seed, you would it would take you days to download something. Yes. But if you had more people, sometimes it would be so fast right. that it would just blow you your mind how fast it was. And so that's yes. kind of what we're talking about here. Is, is BitTorrent the same thing as blockchain or is it built on, on a different technology? That's a different technology completely. So what library has done is, uh, and I tried to make that simple, I'll go over it again, is they've used blockchain as the database for the protocol, but it also has a peer-to-peer -peer protocol, which is what BitTorrent is. And they're completely separate things. Uh, the, the, the BitTorrent side of it the, uh, is the sending of the files of the video actually back and forth directly from one person to another person. That's what peer to peer means. And uh, so, you know, it's an important part of the, of the whole pie. I mean, obviously back in the day with Napster and even with BitTorrent and other things, the whole problem with the Torrent thing was that people were sharing pirated content, right? Actually engaging in illegal activity. But it turns out that the, the, the technology is a really great way for us to share our own content with each other without trusting in or relying upon another service, another company, a web host or file sharing service or platform like YouTube, et cetera. In regard to the speed, which you were talking about and alluding to, yeah, back in the day, it was a tough thing, you know, because audio files could be somewhat large and video files really large and especially as we get into higher definitions and things like that but the world has changed and and now you know our internet speeds many people have 100 gigabits or or you know a, a, even a, a full um, gig connection to the internet and, and even on our phones we're we're pushing 20 and 40 and you know with 4g and 5 so the technology just exists now to be able to distribute that content in a way that is actually usable and the more people that jump in and use the platform and run the platform are, and, and, and allow and act as host, the, the better it works. Just like you said, you want to grab the one, you want to grab the file that has a bunch of seeds because that means there's going to be a bunch of people serving that file up to you and you're going to get it faster. But, you know, it is interesting because one of those seeds, if they have a really fast internet connection, can serve you that file really quickly. So it's a, it's a two-tiered type of thing where it can be number of people, but also the speed of their connection. But we're kind of at a point, technologically speaking, where we're past that. And so, like, if you use the library uh, app at library.tv or you use Odyssey, which is just another, it's odyssey.com, which is uh, there, there, it's a really nice user interface for it all. Uh, there, you know, you'll run into some buffering sometimes and a little bit of a slowdown, but typically, uh, with, especially with the videos that are from content creators that have a lot of users or followers, they, they stream almost seamlessly just as well as, as YouTube, YouTube would, as long as you have a good internet connection. So, yeah, I, I have, um, I, I've noticed that, uh, the streaming can be, um, 
a, a little bit choppy. What, it, what in some of my videos I've asked people like, Hey, just give it just a second to load and then it will load. And usually it plays fine. But um, I can attest to the fact that you do receive crypto. I mean, when you, when you log in and you sign up, you get a little right. bit, when you connect yeah. your, when I connected and synced over and brought over all my YouTube videos, um, I got a little bit. If you invite someone and they join up, you get a little bit just for okay. watching, you get a little bit. And so I've okay. had people tip me on some of my videos and, you know, you get a little notification that someone gave you a tip and it's, it's pretty cool. Whereas in YouTube, you have to have a certain amount of, of uh, followers. You have to have a certain amount of watch time to be able to monetize. And then they could also deplatform you. Here, you could start earning right away. You know, you don't even have to um, necessarily have a, um, have a channel. You can start earning just by being uh, a viewer, just by watching those videos. So um, I guess that leads to the next question, right? So how does it all pertain to the casual internet user. Uh, you know, we talked about library, you know, okay, we know that we can get video there, but how does that, what does it all mean for us? The, the person who's just getting on and surfing and, uh, you know, wants to have some kind of privacy out there and maybe make some good choices that way. What does it all mean for them? Well, I think there's a lot of ramifications. Uh, I mean, I, I would guess that there is a number of people even within our audiences that started to use Parler and, uh, you know, depending on, I mean, regardless of what actually happened there, uh, it's, it's down, at least for now, it's, it's gone. And so the ramifications for us is that, you know, if you're a free, free, you know, First Amendment loving free speech uh, advocate, you know, we, we want to be able to communicate with each other. And I think there is a, a concern that there is the possibility as time goes on that we will see more deplatforming, or if you if you're not if you're not if you don't fit within the uh, approved type of speech or subject matters or what have you, you maybe won't be deplatformed, but you'll be demonetized, right? So you you can post your videos to YouTube, but you won't be able to run ads or make any money or on other platforms. Uh, and so for users, as we already talked about. When you use platforms, the income that's being generated for those companies is from your data. And they are very, very good at figuring out everything they possibly can about you, as we talked about, to figure out how to advertise to you best and to sell that information to third parties and that sort of thing. So it's just a better, I think, experience for everyone to get on to some of these platforms and to to support them and you know why not support each other uh, rather than you know the uh, mega corporations that also then you know do things that are harmful or abusive to us in, in different ways so. well they definitely create a profile about you uh, I've uh, I've talked about that before in the past where every like, everything that you have clicked on, every post is recorded like you know, on Facebook and you can go into your settings and you can see it and you can download it. And, uh, but it's there and it's kind of scary. Even things that you have unliked, you know, groups that uh, if you've been on Facebook for since the beginning, you know, maybe you joined a, a group that um, turned, you know, turned, went sideways or whatever. And you saw like, okay, I'm not following these people anymore. And you disliked them. It's still in your disliked 
folder, you know, it's still there. So it's, uh, it's kind of scary there. So we talked a little bit, I don't know if you want to, if you want to go into it, maybe a little bit more, but what does it mean for content creators? Because this is something that, I mean, I saw Facebook groups that had, you know, we all had pages back in the day and, uh, there were, there were big and, you know, we liked it when they would drive content and, and right. uh, to, or drive uh, clicks to our websites. And then Facebook started going away from that and created groups. And so everybody created a group. And so uh, everybody was there and we liked that because it seemed like there was a little bit more privacy, like you had to join the group, blah, blah, right. blah. You can still post links and all of that. But then we started seeing people with huge followings. I mean, some people that have built their whole lives on their, you know, in Facebook and their Facebook groups completely be wiped away. And so uh, I, I, the first couple of times I started seeing that, I'm like, it's not worth it, man. Uh, Not to, not to do that. I'm going to try to continue to build the following, you know, on uh, use the social medias, but, you know, I still want to bring people back into, you know, prepper website and the prepper website podcast. So, Right. I don't know. Do you want to share? Is there any, anything else there you want to touch on as far as what it means yeah. for content creators? Yeah, sure. Yeah, a couple of contents uh, comments about that. First, with the with the page thing versus the group thing, it's sort of a good example of what we've been talking about. Is that I mean, you can still create a Facebook page, obviously, for your business or whatever you like for your podcast or whatever your your content is that you're creating. Uh, but what they did is they they made it a pay-to-play system, right? So you post to a page and nobody's going to see it. So that's why everybody switched to groups because in a group, everyone in the group actually sees that post. And so everybody realized that very quickly and was like, let's create a group. But even within the groups, I mean, one of the things that we started to notice is that, you know, it'd be one thing. This actually opens us up to a much bigger and broader ideological conversation, which is this. It would be one thing to be censoring Uh, things like that we all would probably agree need to be censored, right? We don't want to be seeing child pornography. We don't want to be allowing for content that's about pedophilia or, you know, we probably would probably even balk at somebody making death threats or things like this. So there there is this issue of how do we find this balance between free speech and then moderating moderation or moderating of a, of a platform that uh, pre- prevents some of that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's really difficult. It's a super, it's a very nuanced, very deep and difficult problem to address. Uh, and so they're trying to do it. I mean, the, and even in library, you know, the idea is that if we have a voting system essentially, and you're voting with like tips where you're putting a little bit of your money into it or whatever, the good content is going to be pushed to the top and the bad content is is going to be pushed down, but you can also self-moderate where you put, you know, you you don't want to see adult content or you don't want to, you know, so there's options like that, which are being built into some of these platforms, which I think is a really great thing. I mean, you can flip a switch as a user and say, I don't want to see that content, which is very different than the platform itself saying, no, you're not going to get this content. So, so for content creators, you know, it, it, it's the, the problem is, is that once you put the hand, put the control, right, in, you give it to that entity, whether it be Facebook or any other business, they're going to do what's best for them in terms of making money, generally, number one. But then number two, if they have an ideological bent and they decide that the content that you're creating isn't in line with what they want everybody to see, there's a lot of things they can do. They can, they can, they can 
flag it as as not you know as not being fact checked or not you know as fake news or whatever they want to do. They can also just demonetize it. We talked about that, so you can't make money on the platform if you're if you're not talking about what you should be, <laughs> right? And the other thing is, is they can use algorithms to just make sure that content just doesn't show up. Period. You know, you you won't show up on search engines. You won't show up. so. All of this that we're talking about is, is you know, the, the blockchain and the decentralization and the, the technologies. And, and, and library is not the only one. There's going to be a lot of these. Uh, and there are a number of others already in existence. You mentioned D-Link. Uh, and uh, there's BitChute and others. We'll, we'll maybe run through a list here at the end. But they, they help protect content creators from that, right? And, you know, it's a funny thing. It's like there's this old saying, I... I probably, I'm going to probably botch it up a little bit and trying to quote it, but uh, it was something like, you know, that someone in Germany wrote during the, during the time uh, when Hitler was in power, something like, you know, they came for the socialist and I didn't say anything. And they came for these people and I didn't say anything. And they came for these people and they didn't say anything because it wasn't me, you know? And then when they came from me, there was nobody to say anything about me. And so, you know, it's a very nuanced issue and we could get really deep into it probably, uh, which we don't have time for, but you know, the, the thing of it is, is that uh, we, we, we content, as content creators, and I think as users and people within the preparedness community, we want to know and we want to do whatever we can to try to ensure that we have the access to the information that we're looking for, or that when we create content, that's good content, that it can actually go out to our audiences and not just be shut down because somebody somewhere, one individual decides, hey, I don't like this, you know, delete or block or whatever so it's an important thing for sure definitely um we spend a lot of time you know and we talked a little bit about this before we started is we we can spend a lot of time especially those of us who are who work full-time who don't do um we we provide content for the preparedness community but it's not our full-time job and yes. so you know it, at night during the weekends i mean we're recording this on the re- uh, on the on saturday morning right and uh, we're doing all this and then to 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 get it to the point where you can't get it out there to people is really it really sucks man you know you don't want to be Absolutely. able to do that so you you want to have it ready and i also believe I, I think it's very important that the preparedness community support those content creators that are out there doing that because one thing that i have noticed is as we have continued to move further and further and go down is uh there's a lot of websites that have gone down i've talked about this plenty of times i've, I've written articles about this but plenty of our uh, websites that have gone down and that are, are not uh, their content is not up there any longer uh, unless you know where to look and that's one of the things that i do on my saturday prep that i send out i try to pull an article from the archives that uh, it might be three or four years old. Sometimes it's not even around, but uh, on the internet, but because I have the link to it on Prepper website, I can always pull it up on archive.org. So I can always go there. So right. we want to just make sure that we, we have that content available because people mm-hmm. are still op- getting, I mean, their eyes are getting open to the need of, of being prepared. And so we want to have that content available for them when they're going, uh, when they, we, when they're looking for it and when they're researching and when they're, when they need it. So we talked a lot of, you know, we've, we've used some technological jargon and, and we've talked about databases. We've talked about all this. Um, how does it play out for, the the end user as far as going to so like if somebody who is listening to this who's never heard of library before or odyssey before has never clicked on the link to go there are they going to need some special programming skills to be able to do this or what does it look like on their end 
No, not at all. It's super easy and seamless. And hopefully they'll use either your link or my link so we can benefit a little bit from that and they can as well. But it's just as simple as pulling up library.tv or going to odyssey.com and you're hit with the homepage, which which looks uh, just like a YouTube and you'll see the videos that are there. Now, you, when you create an account, all they want from you is an email address. I think you might have to phone, do phone verification as well. I don't recall. But at that point in time, you're created a, a wallet. You get a wallet. You will get a 12-word a passphrase that you need to write down and store somewhere uh, and uh, you start watching videos and as you watch and as you comment and you follow the people that you like and subscribe to their channels you earn a little bit of library token and those tokens start to show up in the right hand corner of your of your wallet and you can see that balance and there's other activities that you can do to earn a little bit more and as you earn a little bit more then you could use that to tip the creators that you like if, if you want and and the only place that it gets a little bit more technological is if you, as a content creator or a user, wanted to take the library tokens that you've earned and, and cash them out and send them you know, into U.S. dollars and, and, or into Bitcoin or something and send it to your bank or whatever. And then you need to have an exchange, uh, be connected to an exchange like Kraken or Gemini or, or Coinbase or any of the U.S. exchanges where you can send those tokens out convert them to US dollars and deposit them into your bank. But all of that even is really at a place now where it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to do. It's becoming more and more seamless. It's becoming more mainstream as PayPal and Robinhood, of course, has been in the news for doing some stupid stuff lately, but Cash App even, they're all accepting they're all working with Bitcoin. So, I mean, that's another way you could do it is you could, you could, you know, you could send that library and you could exchange it for tokens for Bitcoin, send it to Cash App and deposit it right into your bank. So it's just becoming easier and easier. And for, for your audience, if, if there's anybody that wants to learn more about all of that, that's what I do on my channel, Block Thrasher. It's, uh, it's all about simplifying the complexities of, of cryptocurrency and of blockchain and all of this technology. And I try to explain it in the most easy, understandable way so that people don't feel, because a lot of people do. A lot of people just, I think it's some of the terminology that scares people away and makes them think it's more difficult than it is. And it's really not. If you can use Facebook, if you can use your banking application, you can do all of this at this point. It's, it's, it's not that difficult. Good point. Good point. So we've talked about library a lot. What about what are some other platforms that we could use um, that that are based on blockchain when we're talking about decentralization and not wanting? Because I'm sure a lot of people got on Parler. They built up a following on Parler. They had a lot of people that they were there, and then it just all went, you know. And so, okay, let's find a place where it's decentralized, and I can, you know, connect with people that. Uh, believe like me and I can learn from them and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, are there other places in library to do that? Yeah, there actually are. I, I have a, a list of them here. There's a bit shoot, which is very similar. It's sort of a YouTube clone that operates on the blockchain uh, with Bitcoin. You mentioned D live, which is sort of like a, like a Twitch type of application. I, I'm on that. It's uh dlive.tv forward slash block thrasher. Do you have a, an account there as well? Yeah, it's uh, it, it would be that dlive.com or dot, what is it? I don't even dlive.tv forward slash prepper website. It's, it's prepper website. Yeah. That's what I would have so thought. I'm right. trying to get the streaming set up to where when we do the prepper website lives on, on Friday nights that it goes directly there. So I'm uh, still working on it, but I do have my channel set up. <laughs> there you go. So there's another uh, option, which is called Hive, hive.blog, right? 
So again, hive.blog forward slash block thrasher. But the hive is a protocol similar to library. And what's interesting with all of these, with library, with hive, anyone can create a website and an app or an application that connects to the protocol, right? So with library.tv, you've got odyssey.com and there's others that can tap into the same database, same blockchain technology and, and interface with it. And it all interacts the same. It's, it's basically just like a different uh, place to access the same information. That's, that's what it is. And so with, with Hive, it's the same thing. There's Hive and then there's a, a thing called Peak D. Wait, hold right? on. Peak. Let's come back. Hive, yeah. is, it, is it video or is it blogging? Hive is more of a, bl of a blogging platform. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and, and social media type of environment then. Yeah. And I, so hive.blog existed. That's yeah. So cool. <laughs> there's an interesting story behind it. Cause it, it actually, uh, it was, it, it was, it started as peak D it's called P E A K D peak D.com. And there's a very interesting story behind, behind this. Uh, I don't know if we're running out of time, but, uh, probably the first to do anything like what we're talking about was called steam it. And it was created back in, I want to say 2016, 2017 uh, by Dan Larimer, who was the creator of Bit, uh, BitShares and then later on EOS, which is uh, uh, another cryptocurrency and platform, but don't want to dive into that. But, but, but there's an interesting story behind Steemit because it was decentralized. It was all the things we were talking about, but there was one problem when it was created. And that was that the founders launched it a week before or days before they let everyone else know about it and they mined a whole bunch of coins. And so that platform had, it had a system in which people could vote to change the platform and to upgrade the code and through witnesses. And so eventually what ended up happening was in time, those guys kind of pulled out a little bit and Justin Sun came along, who's the creator of Tron and other major cryptocurrency, right? And he was able to convince some of the exchanges and with his wealth, he's a multi-multi-millionaire, he bought that original amount of Steemit coin that was mined by the co-founders and he got the majority and he took over the network, basically. <laughs> it was crazy. So it was like, it went from being decentralized to being centralized because of that mistake that the founders made. And he got control of it. And when he did, the community just got upset. And they were like, this is not what this was all about, right? And then he started to get even into even more vicious type of activity. And he started to freeze people's accounts and things like this. And, and so it is important when looking at these things to see if they've actually been set up properly, if they truly are de decentralized, because they're not decentralized. If there's a governance system that runs them in which somebody can get the majority of all the tokens and, you know, and like, that's one of the amazing, you know, incredible things about Bitcoin is it's just so spread out now. There's so many people, so many users that that type of thing can't happen to be virtually impossible. Right. So, so, um, you know, with library, for instance, and some of these others that we're talking about, they did it right. And so, so what happened was the community basically said, all right, Justin Sun and, and Steam it, uh, we're going to break off. It's all open source software. We're going to create a new project called Peak D, right, which runs on the Hive chain, which is the same as Hive.blog, like we mentioned. We're going to create this and we're just going to leave what you're doing. And so they did. And 
like overnight immediately it's far surpassed steam it became even more popular and even worth more the whole you know the the car the the market cap of the entire um of the entire cryptocurrency that drives it the hive token so anyway it's there's some fascinating and interesting stuff there so we're really in this like birth birthing pain stage with all of this i think where there's some really incredible technology that's coming out but some of it's sort of being tested and failing and then others will succeed and you know what will succeed what won't you know is is, is not always easy to to gauge or to tell uh, but you know with with the, the, these two these that we're talking about the uh the peak d and the and the hive uh, the, the hive dot blog it seems like this was really created right you know what I mean? In, in, in a way that that, that type of thing's not going to happen. So moving on, I'll just run through some of the other ones that are out there. There's DTube. So that's D.Tube uh, is another YouTube type of uh, option. Uh, there's Mastodon. Mastodon's interesting because it's a social media platform that, you know, you or I could create our own community if we wanted to. Like we could set up a server, grab the open source software and run it. And and then we can, you know, the accounts that get created on that can we can jump into another master, mastodon, uh, um, you know, on another server that somebody else has created for their community, and we can kind of go back and forth and interact with each other and all of that. But it's it's um, it's just another option that's very interesting to keep an eye on. I would say that sort of does the things that we're talking about. And then there's another one called Minds Minds.com, which is another social media platform. I would say more. Uh, geared towards sort of be like Facebook, but that runs on the on the on blockchain technology and is decentralized and all the things that we've been talking about and uh, and then Float, which you use, and I know you've mentioned that you've had some difficulty with speeds uh, on there, and so I'm sure that they are trying to figure out their technological issues. And as more people come in, then typically these type of things. It's interesting because one of the things that happens with these type of platforms is in a traditional technology stack, the more users you have, the more expensive it gets. And you have to ramp up things to increase productivity or increase speeds and that sort of thing. With these type of systems, often the more people come in and act as hosts and partake and run the things that function the whole decentralized network, they actually get better and faster and stronger and more secure. So that's a that's a cool feature of that. And uh, there's Leo Finance and Essency, which are another two instances of things that run on top of the Hive blockchain. So, um, you know, we could probably post a, a you know, link to these things in the description because there's no way anybody's going to capture that off the video just by hearing it. But the kind of the point being is there's a lot of things happening, and I'm sure there are some that I've missed that I didn't even list. So, and yeah, so you'll send me those links. I can I can post them uh, yeah. in the video and also on the podcast uh, when, when we uh, release this one, um, is there a central location where you can kind of find um, blockchain information? Um, I, I know that's kind of, you know, like we're talking about decentralization, <laughs> we're talking about all that, but is there one place where you could find maybe if you're looking for, I don't know, a directory or news or whatever that you know of? Well, I mean, uh at blockfactory.com, that's part of what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. You can obviously go there. Uh, it's all about educating. And every day I do an early morning update, which is is covering the market, what is happening with the cryptocurrencies. But I also talk about new projects and platforms that are doing really cool and revolutionary things. And it is kind of hard to separate the two right now. I mean, the, the uses of blockchain that aren't connected to a cryptocurrency really aren't that much. There are institutions and governments are looking into it and how they can use 
them and they probably will and maybe even sometimes in nefarious ways because they will be they won't be permissionless and they won't be decentralized they'll just be blockchains that are used to store data you know, but in an immutable way and and so there's there's issues there you know that um, that you know they're they're going to have to be traversed and figured out and things like that but there are there are sites you know for instance if you are looking at the cryptocurrencies like uh, coinmarketcap.com or coingecko Dot com and others that just list every 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 coin that exists and you can then look at the prices and you can look at the market capitalization and you can look at uh, a little overview of that project and what they're about and so that would be sort of one place that you can go but in terms of just something that just talks about the technology of blockchain it's, itself there there really isn't it's, um, it's something that you just kind of have to search for and you know dig up dig up whatever information you can find that way there isn't yeah so well, I, I think, that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. No, and I think definitely we want to link to Block Thrasher and uh, send people over there with uh, all the information that you're providing. Um, do you have an RSS feed connected to the website yet? Yes, I do. Okay. So with Block Thrasher, you know, there, it's a podcast, it's a YouTube channel, and obviously it's on Odyssey and Library and all that. Um, and there's an RSS feed that everybody can connect to for that. And of course, they could connect to the RSS feeds for the uh, podcast as well which is run off of anchor. I'm using anchor as a, as a platform for that. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's interesting because I, I also run the art of preparedness and have been since, I don't know, 2017 or something like that. And obviously uh, a lot of people within the preparedness community are not very friendly to the idea of cryptocurrency and, uh, or, you know, even technology in general, you know, it's sort of the, the idea is if you can't eat it and, you know, it isn't worth anything. Right. Or if it's not bullets or band-aids or whatever. And, uh, I don't know if the, the, this is the time now to, to have any, a little bit of a conversation about that at all or not, but uh, I've given much thought to it. And, and as someone who is very interested in preparedness and a, a, a prepper uh, who's also very, very interested in, in this world, uh, I have thought about the ramifications or just the ideology behind how do the, t- how the two can work together and they actually aren't mutually exclusive. They can be symbiotic and actually, um, beneficial for each other and in a lot of ways and we've talked about some of those ways today which is sort of just the protection of the first amendment and our ability to communicate with each other and to get content out and things like that but um, even from a preparedness standpoint you know there are there are issues there that um, but anyway I'm I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole unless you want to go there so (laughs) well no I I think in the preparedness community I think one of the reasons why maybe uh, it's not as embraced is because it's we don't understand it, right? And there's a lot sure. of people that don't understand it. And so that's one big reason why I wanted you to come on and not necessarily talk about the cryptocurrency aspect of it, but yes, more about the, the, the decentralization of it and how right. it applies to us. And because um, I saw that, I saw that early on, you know, just frustrated with all the social medias and everything that you can do. And I think um, just recently with the, again, going, circling back to parlor, I think a lot of people realized how powerful the big tech companies, because you always hear about people being deplatformed. You hear about groups going down here. And so in the back of your mind, if you're not part of that group, you're like, okay, well, they were doing something wrong. They did, they did something that they shouldn't have been doing. But then the people that were on parlor, all of a sudden just got wiped out overnight in it was such a big deal. I think a lot of people realized, wait a minute, big tech 
is a really big thing here and they're controlling more than uh, I feel comfortable with. So I think this right. is why this is so important and so relevant to preparedness. You know, we always Ooh. talk about the big EMP, the CME, the whole you right. know, hit the fan type thing. And that's always out there. That's always a possibility. But until then, until that happens, whenever that happens, if that right. happens, you know, yeah. we still have the internet. We still have the ability to connect. We still have the ability for all of that. And and right. so learning and growing, uh, again, the user, the the listeners to this podcast, um, they're, they're a we have a lot of newbies into preparedness. And I think this is right. one of those big, important things. So I completely agree with you. And I think it's going to be as more people learn about it in the preparedness community are going to embrace it because there's that freedom uh, in, in, the, in all of that. There is. There's technology there, which is going to help protect freedom. And that's an important thing. I think I would just sub summarize the ideological aspect really quickly this way and say that, you know, I have been around the preparedness community for a long time. And I absolutely, like everyone else, uh, see the potential for a catastrophic event. And that could definitely happen with some sort of like massive global or massive EMP that affects the entire United States or but, you know, that might not be the way things go. What might happen is more of a slow winding down and it could just be economic. It could just be a really slow creeping inflation that eventually makes it such that gas is, you know, $20 a gallon. And really like we have to say we can't take that trip or we have to think about even going to the grocery store or only go, you know, twice a month or something to try to cut down on the cost because gas is so expensive or electricity prices have risen or, or whatever, just because of mismanagement of the economy. And then, and it might take a long time. It could be a decade before the whole thing totally collapses. But I think in the preparedness community, there's this tendency for people to think in the most extreme. And that could happen on any given day. I mean, you know, it, it's volatile. The world is volatile. There's this thin thread that holds everything together. We could have riding in the streets tomorrow or we could not. We could just slowly go into like a kind of a dystopian. I mean, I would argue that as a result of COVID, there's a lot of people who are out of work. A lot of businesses have been shut down. And yeah, we did see some rioting and stuff in the streets at points in time. But what, what's actually happening is on an individual level, a lot of people are in their own private dystopia at this point now where they can't find a job or they can't, you know, and so and, and so there's this, you know, spread, there's obviously super wealthy people during this period of time, the last six months, the corporations, Amazon has seen profits like never before, the same for Apple and Google and Microsoft and all, all these types of things, while, while as many other people, you know, aren't doing well or are really, really struggling. And, and it can be that kind of thing. So uh, being wise in preparedness, it doesn't just in my view, uh, take into account the most extreme example of what could happen, but also takes into account what if it's a slow winding down. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that people often look to is gold and silver, and I'm an advocate of those. They've typically been a hedge against that inflation in case the price of gas goes up to $20 a gallon, et cetera. But what's happening right now within the cryptocurrency space, within the blockchain space and all that is that uh, as long as the internet continues to exist, as long as we have electricity, uh, even institutions, even banks and, and major figures like Elon Musk and, and the, you know, the Twitter CEO Dempsey and, and, and even, even people like Paul Tudor Jones and people in the banking world are starting to say, look, Bitcoin's here to stay. It's the digital gold. And it's a, anti-inflationary asset because it's fixed in its supply. There will only ever be 21 million. So even in my own life, 
being in that space over the last, you know, whatever it's been, seven, eight years or whatever it is, uh, has provided a way to be more prepared than I ever would have been otherwise. And so that's part of what I, I'm actually about is I want people to understand and, and to think about how can we be better prepared from a financial aspect and insulate ourselves uh, uh, from what could potentially happen in that regard. And it's not the you know, it's not the total solution. It's just a part, right? I mean, there's different parts of what we need to be doing and thinking about being prepared for these possible outcomes. And I think it would be a big mistake to only think about preparing for, you know, the, the most extreme radical, uh, you know, catastrophic event when that might not be what happens. It might be much more of a slow creeping thing. And we should be thinking about how to protect ourselves from that as well. So yeah, I just went off on a rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's good stuff, man. You know, it's like really good stuff. And there's people that need to hear that um, because uh, I, I always say this. I know that if I want an article to go off the charts on Prepper website, just do something about an EMP and forget it. Everybody yeah. in the world clicks on it. And, and yeah. you know, that's that's it because they're, they're, we want to protect ourselves from the big, you know, global thing yeah. and the whole, you know, poop hit the fan and everybody's going to die within, you know, eight months or whatever. But um, right. I completely agree with you. You know, um, we look around and we need to start, you know, thinking about um, how we can prepare ourselves from all the different types of things uh, and not just not just the big things that are global or even regional, but uh, our individual preparedness. I think that's so important. So um, we're going to, I'm going to give you a a moment here just to tell everyone how they can connect with you, the different websites and the different uh, platforms that you're on. But uh, uh, I want to ask you this question here. Uh, I try to ask everybody that I interview this one specific question. What is one question that you have wished someone would have asked you uh, in the past, but they never have. And now you get that opportunity to answer. A question that they would have asked me that I've never had the chance to answer. Wow. A, a question that someone, and it yeah, could be on anything. they would ask me? It could be, it could be on anything. It's just whatever question you wish is like, you know, I wish somebody would ever would ask me this question and no one ha- right. ever has. And now you, now I'm asking you, what is that one question? Well, some of those questions I have been asked and I've been able to, I've been able to answer, but uh, you know, I, I think it would be, what is the most important thing that you have, you know, or what are, what are some of the, what are a couple of the most important things that you've learned in your life or, or, or whatever? It's just a very general, broad question, but um, you know, it's, there's, there's a couple of things that, that I definitely would, would, would answer that is the most important question from my, my view is it, it, what matters most is faith in God, right? And uh, hope, not just for this world, but for eternity. Uh, obviously, uh, anybody that puts their hope in anything else, whether it be being prepared, whether it be wealth, whether it be cryptocurrency, whether it be the money, whether it be whatever it is, even family or relationships, all those things are transitory and can go at any moment. You know, you can be one of my friends who was uh, very prepared and in the preparedness community uh, got pancreatic cancer stage four and died six months uh, after he learned about it. And he and I were very close and we had very great conversations. And, um, but, you know, it was interesting when that happened because he, he was able to go, even though he's in extreme pain, you know, and I remember just seeing him sort of like whittling away and dying and, and, and oh, it's really rough. 
but he was like, I know where I'm going and I'm not worried about it. I've got faith and trust in God. And so he was, so he was prepared, ultimately prepared. Right. You know, and uh, obviously super confusing though. Like, why is this happening? I'm only 45 and I've got young kids and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. But, but um, so that would be just number one is, you know, what, and and then number two would be in, in, in terms of like, for the long term, what's most important, but for now, what's most important, and it's just people, you know, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that matters more in my life that has, you know, nothing that's caused me more pain than the loss of people. It's not the loss of money. It's not the loss of anything. And so those are just the two things that, you know, would be the answer to my question of what is the most important questions about life. And it would be loving God and loving people. I mean, it's really just as simple as that. And at the end of the day, you could be super prepared. You could be super wealthy. You could have like I did mind Bitcoin back in 2009 and not lost it like I did and be a multi multi-millionaire and, and have everything you ever want. But if you don't have good relationships with your family, with your wife, with your kids and, uh, <clears throat> and hope for the future, hope for, 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 you know, after, after this life, uh, you really have nothing. So. Good stuff. Good stuff, Justin. All right, man. Yeah. Tell us, tell us how we can connect with you. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you, the different websites that you, uh, that you're running and, uh, your podcast and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, everything can pretty much be found at blockthrasher.com. Uh, that is the blog where I post written articles and I post the podcast and the YouTube and the videos and everything there. I also have a vibrant group that's been growing super fast on, on Facebook, uh, it is uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash block thrasher. So if you just search for block thrasher, you'll find it there. I am on Twitter. It's a platform that I'm not using that much, but need to more. So I am looking for followers there. And then obviously Odyssey, which we've talked about, .com, or if you want to go to library.tv, um, I find the experience at both of those great. Odyssey just looks a little bit better, you know. Uh, so <clears throat> we definitely appreciate that. Some some follows follows there. The podcast is available um, on anchor.fm forward slash block thresher, but I am also on Apple. Uh, you can find it there just by searching for block thresher. I'm on Google. I'm on um, what's the other big Spotify, all of them. And you can find the podcast just by searching for block thresher on any of those. And uh, that pretty much would uh, summarize it. Yeah. Good. I, I, I can get emails at info at blog If anybody wants to reach out to me, um, so yeah, that that's great, man. And so I will um, link to all those all those places and all the other things that we've talked about. Uh, when when Justin sends me those links, <laughs> I'll definitely put the put them into uh, the podcast notes and the video. There's notes. one other thing. Go go Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, uh, I'll just mention the art of preparedness as, as well. There's a, a bunch of really useful articles there and. Uh, my fiance is uh, was was a homesteader for the, like the last decade, and has a lot of experience in that area. And so she's also writing articles about that. And she's an expert with life, livestock guardian dogs and horses and goats and everything you can think of. She's she's done it. And so um, so we have a ranch in Washington, uh, and it's funny we live in three places right now: in Texas, Washington, Idaho. Idaho's like ultimately home. And uh, where we will eventually land, we will be selling the ranch in Washington eventually. But, but anyway, I just wanted to mention that the art of preparedness.com is, I think there's some good useful information there. And so it's another way to connect with, with us. Definitely. And I do link to that one on prepper website. So uh, Justin, thanks so much, man, for coming on and uh, giving us a little bit of information about blockchain and helping us to understand it so that uh, we can utilize it 
and uh, live a, a little bit better prepared life on uh, on the internet. We greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you so much, and uh, I've really enjoyed your friendship over the years, and I look forward to doing doing whatever we can moving forward to give people the best possible information about preparedness and uh, and keep everybody encouraged as in their journey. Right? So, awesome. Thank you. Thanks. All right. God bless. You too. Bye now. Well, once again, Justin, thank you so much for coming on to the Prepper Website Podcast and sharing your information about blockchain and how we can use it to be better prepared. Hey guys, I am going to link to all of the the links that Justin mentioned, all the software, all the platforms, uh, all of his um, websites and links that he talked about. I'm going to link to that in the show notes so you can go right there. I try to always provide that information for you so that you can dig a little bit deeper into these things. So um, it's going to be really easy for you to go and check all of these out. So uh, definitely go check out Justin's website, blockthrasher.com, theartofpreparedness.com, and uh, he's got a lot of great stuff over there. Well, that's it for episode 679. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app, or you head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and click the links over there. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to prepperwebsite.com where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best self-reliant articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. Hey guys, let me break break in here to my normal close. I got to tell you the alternative news hub where it's a, it's a page full of alternative news links and it uh, updates on a regular basis. That has become one of the most popular and I know that I've said that before in the past, but recently things have just off the charts with that. So I think a lot of people are looking for alternative news and they're just not looking for your, your typical you know, mainstream media. I think people are hungry for that. So if you haven't checked that out, go check that out. All right. So uh, moving on, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 handpicked preparedness articles that you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.